0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is believe. Hey, White Sox fans. Hey, guess what? This is believe in White Sox. It's podcast number five. Once again, joining me, all five podcasts. I like. I like the trend here. I like where this is going. It's my partner. It's Tommy Barbie. Hello, Tommy. It's talk some White there.
1: Sox. Absolutely.
0: It's not the best time to talk White Sox. They really have had, uh, I I don't think it's even arguably the roughest stretch of the season, albeit against a good Houston Astros team. uh, Houston Astros team, which I believe now is the best in the American League, certainly has the best run differential in baseball and in the American League. Uh, Basically, given the White Sox faced up against another contender, uh they failed obviously they went to houston they failed they were at full strength let's say there weren't any breaking injuries the rotation was healthy the lineup as it were was healthy and they just got whooped and uh absolutely not great not a good feeling but uh give me the taste in the mouth coming out of that uh oh for four long weekend of baseball
1: yeah i mean it it isn't you don't really want to get into moral victories because that that to me is gray area that a team where the White Sox feel like they should be as championship contenders. You shouldn't be talking about moral victories, but even by that standard outside of the one game, the the games were not close against the Astros. So, you know, offense, defense, pitching across the board they really just kind of outclassed the White Sox. So it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back from it.
0: There's a refer oftentimes to Southside Sox where both you and I write, Tommy. And so on Southside Sox, during the course of this uh, disintegrating weekend, the one close game sort of generated some debate as to how you use Liam Hendricks. The argument was, (laughs) That when you're on the road and it's a tie game, you're not going to put your closer in because that's traditionally how it's done. I think that ignores the leverage of the situation, it ignores the fact you end up using him in a in a in a dump uh, effort uh, like he was just used on Sunday exactly. in a runaway game. Uh, this idea of well, you don't want to burn them down, burn them out. Um, we don't know that there's going to be a week like oh, I don't know, the week coming up now where he's not maybe gonna really need to be pressed. Uh, the idea that Tony Larusa uh, did not turn to Hendricks at a in a in a couple junctures, not just the one game that was a tie game, the closest game the White Sox had, but in a, a couple junctures where he could have been used uh, again, how does that sit with you?
1: I've just accepted that I will <laughs> never agree with Tony Larusa on, on that matter because I have complained every single time, and I I get it, like. LaRusa is just of the mindset that this is the use of the closer. Now, I think there's tremendous irony in that, given that the man arguably invented the position and now he's just so hard-headed that he can't see beyond, to your point, these are high leverage situations. So as our best pitcher, these are the opportunities that you want to use them in. But you know, the fundamentally, I don't think the White Sox bullpen is even in a position to have Hendricks to use in the way that Larissa is trying to use them. Uh, well, for,
0: for, I got to pick on one thing here, and that is, uh, you said this is one area you've decided that you're never going to see eye to eye with Tony Russo, <laughs> which makes me very com- in, intrigued by what it is you will see eye to eye with Tony Russo, but really, Tommy, we cannot get into that with this podcast. That's an entirely separate podcast. <laughs> there, there's not enough time. Right. So, <laughs> but I am intrigued. I have made a note, and we are going to revisit this. Um yeah, the idea that and I, I wanna say that Rick Hahn or somebody, I, I don't think I made it up. I think somebody said they really were looking forward to seeing how Liam Hendricks would operate in more of that stopper role. And I know that's sort of a, a amorphous type of term, but I, I wanna say that's more like a, a hater role where it's where it's you might come in in the fifth, you might come in, in the seventh, right. you might be pitching a couple of innings, but basically when the leverage demands it, you're in for that game because you know, by the ninth inning, it could be a runaway, you could be in you could be ahead. The other team may have turned it into a blowout, and is not needed for just a ninth inning or just part of an eighth inning situation.
1: Yeah, there have been quotes from both Larusa and Han that make it pretty clear that this is Larusa acting on an island, um, so to speak, with this decision. Um, and you know, Han talked about bullpen usage in his uh, podcast with uh, Ch- uh, Jason Benetti on. Um, on YouTube where it, it sounded like without directly saying it, he views Hendricks, like you said, as that overall stopper that you would use in high leverage situations where Larousse has also made it very clear that even though that might be the desire of others in the organizations, this is his belief and that's what he's going to do. So I think it's interesting in the grand scheme of roster construction, thinking about Here's a situation where the White Sox clearly designed the team in one specific way that the manager is not operating under that pretense at all. And how do you kind of account for that as you make changes throughout the season?
0: And, and it's not to say that the White Sox don't have potential to have several guys um, occupying that role. Uh, Garrett has proven he's a guy Uh, or at least promises he's a guy who can perhaps go more than one inning and Mm -hmm. can attack high leverage. Michael Kopech has already proven this year he's able to do that, even though they see him long-term getting back into the rotation, maybe even later this year, getting back into the rotation. Uh, But right now, you don't really have, if you have a number of guys, if Aaron Bummer was pitching the way we would have right. we would have expected him to. Uh that's a guy you'd say, okay, well, there's another, there's like your lefty stopper. If if there's a situation where you got more than one guy, you can really feel like, all right, the the ball, you know, the house is on fire. You go. Get in there, Liam. Start cussing, start yeah. screaming, get it done. Uh, then I could see, okay, hey, keep him as your your big money guy, your your headlines guy, your cussing at the end of the game guy, uh, but right now they don't necessarily have that. And I, I would like to see a little bit more flexibility in management of that bullpen, uh, understanding that maybe it's not as it's it's deceptively weak. Perhaps I know the numbers are strong, and I know a lot of people, would, a lot of teams would kill to have this bullpen as they should, but. I'm not sure that it's necessarily met the hype because even Hendricks started out a little yeah. uh, flat. So uh, given that it's not, there's no all-star flex to this uh, bullpen beyond uh, beyond Liam Hendricks, uh, I'm not sure that you can afford to just say, okay, well, when the ninth inning comes or maybe two outs in the eighth, I'll hand the ball to Liam because that's what that's what my note card told me to do or that's when I invented it, that's how it was supposed to go. Um, Tommy, let me, this spills into another thing and it's, it's hard to get into this for a team that is so good uh, uh, still projects run differential wise to win the AL central by 20 games uh, still projects to be run differential wise. I think 102 win team, which is beyond the hopes any of us had uh, beyond a couple of the most crazy writers <laughs> as our colleagues at Southside Sox uh, but flip side this really still does have the potential to turn into the most, well, this is probably too dramatic, but the most catastrophic disaster that we've experienced as White Sox fans, given that we are running so high and really were the, have been on a couple different occasions, the best team in baseball, yep. uh, doing it wounded. As every Mm -hmm. team does, but a lot wounded from the start, I would argue probably the White Sox have lost more key man hours, man games uh, than most other teams still at this point, uh, depending on where guys come back. Uh, But this is still sort of like, I don't know, we're driving uh, using maybe the the spare, that little spare tire on one of the wheels, (laughs) or we're just driving a little too fast for the curves and Mm This really still does as secure as we feel in taking maybe an AL Central and and having this be a legit playoff team. This really still could go real sour.
1: Yeah, and I that is lingering in the back of my mind just based on on how badly things went in Houston, where it was just like. This team literally picked the White Sox apart, and any other team that comes along afterwards should just watch the taint and say, "This is how you beat this team." And I we're talking about like fundamental things that the Sox were ineffective at. Where we're talking about they can't hit right-handed pitching. Well, that's kind of a problem. Um, I mean, <laughs> you need to hit righties in Major League Baseball. <laughs> Um, you're talking about, okay, if Hendricks is basically out because he's only going to get used in high leverage situations where it's the ninth inning and the Sox have the lead. Okay, so then your bullpen is this makeshift guys of folks that no one has lived up to their hype, Crochet and kopic when he comes back, but that's not really enough for a effective bullpen. And it was also the first time that the starters kind of performed average and they weren't exceptional and you can't expect them to perform at that high of a level against every team, especially when you're talking about some of the best teams in baseball. And it's just those combination of things really to me highlighted how fortunate the Sox have been that they've been able to play a relatively easy schedule and beat up on some of the teams that they're supposed to beat. But as you start looking towards the second half of the season, you start thinking about all right, you got a month until the trade deadline. What are the pieces that the White Sox need to get to that next level? There might be a few more gaps than people thought going into you know that's that stretch against the Astros. Even before that, when you look at what they did with the Blue Jays, Yankees, and and The rays they they did well, but there were still some of those same discussions around wow, the White Sox really didn't execute this well.
0: I'm not sure, I mean, this really sounds like we're getting down on a team that's really, really good, but I mean, it also harkens to what we were marveling at just one podcast ago, and that was just how extraordinary this starting rotation's been. There's exactly. some real key things that the White Sox, it was exposed at this Houston series, but we've sort of known it bubbling under the surface. They don't defend well, and that's not simply a product of I'm having a guy who's never played left field playing right. left field for you, <laughs> but man for man, this is... I would say there's very little above average defense out there. That will change when you get a Luis Robert back, of course. It will not change when you get a Eloy Jimenez back. So that right there might cancel out. Uh, The little margin for error with the starting rotation, and and it really does speak to how well they've been able to pitch past mistakes, maybe not even outright mistakes like errors, but just something doesn't get executed um, or you know that you've got to make a perfect pitch because if right. the ball is put in play, what happens? I mean, for all the 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 strong uh, work that Tim Anderson's done uh, defensively, uh, Nick Madrigal was uh, subpar, and hit, and and though Danny Mendick may be a uh, an upgrade, uh, he's never been in this position before. Exactly. Uh, Jose Abreu cannot possibly defend as well as he did last year, which you know of course was otherworldly. Uh, there's there are a lot of cracks in the team. Uh, let's not forget Houston was not nearly at full strength either. No team is at this point, but they had just lost the guys that could have really made this uh, uh, quite a massacre as if it wasn't Absolutely. bad enough over the, the weekend. So that's not great. It will be interesting to see what the rematch is back in Chicago because, I mean, it can't be worse, but, man, this uh, this Houston team sure did look like it had the White Sox number, which is unfortunate because this is not some... This isn't Seattle, like like Tampa just went to Seattle and and, and got their butts handed to them. Like, that's weird, but that's not going to come up again. Uh, Houston right. is in our path. You know, right now we're looking up at Houston in the American League. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a little disarming to know because at least uh, as of last podcast, we're like, hey, nobody in front of us. We're good.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's, these are, That's what I appreciate about the schedule this year is because this is, you know, they didn't have to deal with it last year until they made it to the playoffs where it was just like, oh, the A's are a different team and the A's weren't even that strong of a team. Like it's really a team that the Sox should have beaten, but you could see where there were distinct differences and that's where the rotation problems really came up. And I feel like it's kind of the same thing now where... Now that the Sox are playing these upper echelon teams, you really get to see, okay, Astros are about as good as it's going to get. You know, the Blue Jays are about as good as it gets, so long as you don't think about their bullpen. Yankees are as good as it gets in terms of their offense. How do the Sox match up against it? And you can see, yeah, they're good, but if they want a deep run, they really have to improve.
0: And it's in the nature of being a fan and maybe even specifically the nature of being a white Sox fan, although we are not sad sacks like the other side of town traditionally is. So I don't want to indulge in that way, but we are a bad stretch for the rotation, which is completely plausible because everybody has bad stretches and, you know, yep. Lucas Giolito's had a couple of rough starts, obviously Dylan C everybody's had maybe a couple, uh, but if they start to string these where maybe every other start is rough You've Got a team that's really going to be uh scuffling and is going to crash down to earth because there's not going to be a big offensive punch coming. Yeah. I mean, we can say Aloy Jimenez is coming, well, he's not coming anytime soon. Even a trade that comes up, there's nobody that Rick Conn is going to bring into this team is going to be like, Oh, well, phew, thank goodness, you know, exactly. uh, uh, you know, uh, the hole at cleanup or at bat and third or a DH is, is filled. That's it's not fixed. happening. Yeah. So uh, not that you want to think that way. And there's no reason to believe that this uh, this uh, you were already like we're playing with house money with this rotation, it seems like. And so so let's just keep pushing it. Why not? And it does seem like Lance Lynn is going to have himself a strong, sustained season. Giolito should be there no matter what, even if he's maybe not quite the Cy Young contender, we thought he'd be, Uh, uh, you know, Keuchel here and there, Cease here and there, Carlos Rodon, you know, he's already had as many starts as he averages in a typical year. Exactly. Okay. Let's yeah. just push it. Let's just push it. Um, but man, uh, just to think, uh, you know, the, the effect of just maybe one, one trouble spot, you know, opening up, especially in that rotation, that's sort of the last bastion of like safety and strength. The white Sox have, if that starts to crack, uh, you know, I don't know what we're going to do. It's definitely going to be a race. It's going to be racing for the division. And that's that's sort of frightening because you really don't know how this team is going to uh, bounce back.
1: And, and that's where I think the bullpen management becomes so frustrating because, you know, it's one thing if the starters are like we talked about on last podcast where it seemed like every start, <laughs> six, seven innings, one or two earned runs. And then it's like, yeah, you can hand it to Crochet and Hendricks to close it out and you're done. Like, I could do that. That's easy to do. But when you're talking about guys only going four or five innings, and then you have to start relying on Bummer, Foster, um, you know, even Ruiz in cer- certain situations where it's like, this isn't ideal. That's where it's like, okay, if the socks really want to just forgo using Hendricks in high leverage situations. They need one or two bullpen arms to be able to make this work for the rest of the season because you know, Kopech is going to be on on an innings limit. So it's not like they can use him every time. Crochet is probably going to be in some situation where he needs extended rest too. You have to rely on these guys to help see you through on the rest of the season.
0: And it sounds like such a, uh, a Debbie Downer approach to take to say, geez, if we could have just got a couple of those games back. But the truth is, I, I, I gave you my protracted, dumb uh, explanation of managerial war a couple of podcasts ago. But the truth is, uh, Tony La Russa has underperformed what he should. Just an average mm-hmm. manager, a, a robot, a guy just holding up signs. Uh, A circus animal could be probably doing a better job with this team than he is. I'm sorry, Tony. That's just what it is so far. I would like to see you outperform expectations and that's still possible for you right now. You've got a bit of a hole. Those couple wins, he's on pace to cost the team those three wins. uh, I don't want to see those become an issue, but they could become an issue and that's why it's sort of a, a dirty feeling to say, ah, oh, but, but, you know, but La Russa, but they could have, they could have got a better manager when the team's in first place, when the team seems to be running away from the division. It feels, it makes me feel guilty to have to think that way. But the truth is, that's the problem. That's like saying, hey, Jake Lamp's worked out all right. What do you complain about the fact they didn't really sign him, but that they got Adam Eaton? What are you complaining about? Uh, um, all of their pro scouting decisions have been great. Uh, this year, well, yeah, through forty percent of the season, I guess they've right. been pretty darn good. Let's hope the rest of the sixty percent works out as well, because that can not only be offset but unmade, and these guys could all be negative or uh, players by the end of the season, and that is entirely within the realm of possibility. I'm not rooting for it, but no, but that's your mean Mercedes
1: stuff. is a is a perfect example of that, and and it's. What happens when you rely on a 28-year-old rookie to basically carry the offensive weight of your team? And it's covered up a lot of other faults that the lineup has had. Same thing with Andrew Vaughn. Like, Vaughn has been great in spots, but now you look at the splits where his OPS plus against righties versus lefties, that's just scary. And it's like, this is a guy that you're relying on for offensive production, and it goes back to you know, kind of going into the season, talking about, hey, does it seem like a tall ask to ask to say, hey, rookie, carry the offensive load for us, and you know, not having the foresight then to say, and on top of that, this guy's going to have to learn a position he's never <laughs> played before in his life, and that's supposed to be okay. And these, it, it, it sounds nitpicky, but these, this is the difference between a team like where the White Sox are now and teams like the Dodgers that do have the foresight to say, hey, we're in a good spot, we're playing well, but we still have these little problems here along the way that could be addressed by this guy or this guy or this guy and just constantly tinkering and finding the right mix of players. And I always get the sense that the Sox are scared to kind of engage in that way. And I don't know why, but they don't ever seem to be the team that takes a lot of risks where a signing like a brian goodwin who fell into their lap is the exception and not the norm
0: they definitely do not seem to want to function with a full pantry they do not want to go back to the store until they are out of food and exactly there's no reason why brian goodwin should bat cleanup in a major league (laughs) game uh there's no reason why both adam eaton and andrew vaughn guys who probably smashed together fit as a pretty good player because you got Mm -hmm. one guy killing lefties one guy doing pretty good against righties neither are particularly great on defense but okay they can play major league baseball instead of having both of them and then still even need more there's no reason why billy hamilton you're gonna have to say okay hey bill all right, you had a pretty good game. You're back out there. Oh, you had a pretty good game. You're back out there. This isn't a guy who's like gonna surprise and he's a 30-something year old guy. I love him. Right. I love the way some of these work out. Jake Lamb, I mean you can't, you can't, you can't shake your fist at the clouds too much on even Jake Lamb. It's like, all right, he's basically done more than you could have expected. The problem exactly. at the time, the reason you're howling at the time is wait. This is the move you're making in spring training. This is the guy you're picking. I am mean, given a guaranteed major league contract, very slim margin of error. And again, he's still a guy who could end up being very much upside down by the end of the season. The White Sox is right. on the DFA list. Uh, it's great it's worked out so far. It's great everybody's, you know, what, what, what they're having on the, the food spread before the games is just, you know, caught fire. And they're a great, great team. And they're running away with the division. But, ah. Huh. Man, I mean, you know, it doesn't take much more than a, a, a the doleful drubbing that was dealt them in Houston this weekend to say, okay, hold on, <laughs> maybe we're yeah. ahead of ourselves because this might not be an onewin team.
1: Yeah, Neither of us, both of
0: us predicted them not to be in fact.
1: Exactly. Yeah, and I mean this this is much the reason why, and I that's why I think it will be interesting to see how they perform these next couple of weeks because they're playing teams that they yeah. should beat, but are teams that have a lot of fire in them too like even Pittsburgh
0: mm-hmm.
1: they, they they can play when they when they they have their young guys they're able to put it together for a couple of games and they could surprise the White Sox so I'm interested to see do they go into the series being like oh yeah you know that Astro series was an aberration we're better than that we're going to go on and beat this next team And if they still lose, then it's like, okay, let's reset and and see what happens. And that's where your manager, frankly, I think makes a big difference. And that's also where is this roster as constructed workable? Or are there things that Rick Hahn is going to be able to show that he can make these midseason tweaks?
0: Yeah, there's a lot of teams that have given up. Uh, no. you know, there's not a lot of Minnesota twins out there. You know, they're gutted and you know, they're sort of, they're going to be punch drunk through the rest of this season. They're just, I mean, I guess they could stumble into something and get back into it. They seem like a team that's just been gutted. Pittsburgh, what do they got to lose? Kansas city. That's why I thought this division was going to be stronger. Kansas city, Detroit, where they got to use. They're not any good, but what do they got to no. lose? And exactly. they're going to come hard. They're going to want to try to prove something against the White Sox and take them down a notch. This isn't, uh, This isn't. These aren't zombie opponents. And that's scary, too, because there's, there's very few gimmies. As much as this division seems to be a gimme, and the fact that they've got a lot of their games with Cleveland already out of the way, and they're really the only other opponent, uh, there's still a lot of scary stuff around the corner. And you're right. This Tuesday game is going to be big to see how they use that time off, how they just get a little bit healthier, uh, what the mood of the team is, what the attitude seems to be, whether it's some weird defensiveness coming maybe from the manager's chair or maybe even a player, um, yeah. how much, you know, how much, how much grab ass is going on, just how much, how, how, you know, tight would seem crazy in June, but you know, yeah. where these guys are playing not to lose or playing to win. And that would seem to be an overcorrection from a bad weekend, but well, you don't want to see it. Cause if you do, it's like, Oh my God get gordon beckham out of the yeah, exactly Ooh, Jesus, bad luck man yeah absolutely how are the white Sox going forward going to uh fill <laughs> It's just a strange question tommy because it's a it's a team in an organization filled with designated hitters, but it doesn't seem like they have <laughs> one who's going to be able to consistently perform for them with your mean mercedes taking a step back uh, how do you see them feeling that going forward? Because it does not seem like your mean at this point, or maybe even going forward, can be an everyday DH for you.
1: No, he certainly it doesn't seem like it. And I mean, the, the quickest, easiest way of dealing with it is um, you know send them to Charlotte and bring up Burger or Sheets or somebody else as a, as a short-term fix until you get that trade uh, piece to come in to help. But I, I don't think that there is a really good in-house solution because there's just I, I, you're really playing with the latest flavor of the month that will probably give you a two-week stretch where you feel good. And then you'll have a month stretch of, oh, that probably wasn't the best move that we could have made at the time, but it seemed like the right idea. Um, so I, I don't know if there's anything that's like a fulfilling move that can be made in house outside of a, a trade.
0: I mean, I'm marking a lot of tape here during this podcast. I'm, I'm making a, a lot of, uh, wax marks here of things to get back to, because I like your confidence. You, uh, you say, uh, when they get their reinforcements uh, <laughs> to patch up the DH and I like that confidence. Uh, I wish I had it. Uh, where are you placing the likelihood of let's say and you can use this definition you can use this word loosely you can define it loosely an impact player what is the likelihood of an impact player coming to the white sox via trade uh through the the uh, beautiful mind of rakan zero (laughs) (laughs) so when you said when the help comes it's just like another guy on the bench I, i i
1: think well i think that's where they are looking at Eloy is being that guy. And I I think that's your DH is they're looking at it in terms of they will, they will probably dumpster dive to get their relief pitching and infield or outfield help. And they'll say, okay, we've gotten our guys that combined help make up the magical injury and the bullpen shortcomings and all of that and then when Eloy comes back that's a you know four war player so all that together adds up to this great postseason run that the Sox can go on I don't always I don't entirely agree with that but realistically I think unless there's a team that's out there which there could be that rates the White Sox prospects much more highly than the rest of major league baseball. I don't think an impact bet is out there that the Sox can foreseeably get.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, you know, I'm, I make, I've been known to make fun. I've been known to criticize <laughs> the off season. Uh, but, you know, I do understand there's a dilemma. You've put uh, 150, 180 million in the, in the, in the two guys who are now injured, who in all likelihood are, are coming back. Certainly, and seems like he can come back at least to DH, whether or not Luis Robert can come back and be an impact the way he needs to be in the field, which is really perhaps a more important component even than his back, exactly. uh, remains to be seen. But I can see how, obviously, you're not getting a guy who's got, you know, years of control. I mean, I guess, I mean, that, that would be a decidedly... Um, Traditionally, uh, Yankees or Dodgers, I guess, would be today's example, a Dodgers type of move to say, ah, oh, we'll, we'll sort it out next spring training when we try to figure right. out what these five all-star <laughs> outfielders are going to play. We'll figure it out then. You know, I know that's not the White Sox mode of operation, but at the same time, it, boy, if the opportunity presents itself where maybe the cost isn't too high, maybe a, a Starling Marte uh, is out there maybe uh, to, to make a move on without having to give up too much, I'm not sure why Miami would do that, but if they do, uh, or if it's getting closer to the deadline, it's like, well, we're not going to have the guy anymore you know, uh, give him away. Uh, right. I still hope the white Sox are willing to, to do that because you know, wh- wh- what's the harm? It doesn't even necessarily have to be an expiring contract. I mean, is that really a problem? I mean, it certainly would be an, would have been a nice problem to have this year that it's not like, boy, we're really counting on Adam Eaton to get 550 great plate appearances for us this year because right. look where it's getting us, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think, I, I think, I'm more optimistic from the standpoint that I I do believe Rick Kahn will be aggressive in terms of trade discussions. So I don't see it as the White Sox not putting their hat in the ring for a Sterling Marte or a, um, you know, any of the guys that are out there, whether it's expiring contracts or not, I think it's going to come down to there are, probably enough teams that are going to feel close enough to the playoffs that it won't be the White Sox and two or three other clubs. I think you're looking at five to 10 teams that are going to be kind of this open season for expiring contracts or, or you know, mid-level talent that they can kind of capture without having to give up a lot of prospects, because I don't think given the uncertainty of the CBA and everything that's happening Mm -hmm. with the future of baseball, that teams are going to be as willing to trade the farm for a guy when they don't know what they're going to have or how
0: long they're going to have it. Mm -hmm. Talk about another podcast, Tommy. Talk about another podcast. (laughs) We will probably have that. Okay, listen, I admit, I take a Christmas uh, morning approach to the baseball season. uh, Probably says a lot about me and my slipshod way of running a Chicago White Sox website, Tommy. But I uh, actually have not looked closely enough at the schedule to realize that, holy crap, there is no reason even walking wounded, the White Sox shouldn't have a nice, I'm going to say five game pad by the ulcer break. Mm -hmm. They play nobody until the all-star break we got pirates mariners mariners at home we got twins yep. at home we got detroit uh we got the, well. we got a, uh and the twins and orioles for god's sake uh, <laughs> the, i mean it has been a tough run they just came off of and they and they actually acquitted themselves adequately enough even losing four the last four games of that tough run you look back yeah. and you say, okay, it was all right. Uh, this is the time to get fat, even with this team of like half uh, half a lineup, you know, uh, a rotation that's been nails, but, you know, who knows? Okay, maybe there's a couple cracks. A bullpen that's been, well, you know, we hope, we think. Um, you know, they've been doing it so far. They're two and a half up. They're one up in the uh, lost column on Cleveland. Uh, that pad does need to widen. Do you see it as being, uh, do you see it as being uh, likely that they cruise into the All-Star break approximately a month from now, uh, at that uh, with that sort of pad, or you think it's going to be a little more nip and tuck than that?
1: No, I I, I think that should be the expectation, and anything short of that, I think that's where you start to ask questions of, of Rakon and yeah. say, "All right, l- this this has been fun, but hey, l- l- let's make some moves." Right. And I I do think. You know, more than your typical season, just based on how things have played out, I do think that this is going to be kind of that window where Rick Hahn really sees, okay, where is this team critically? Because if they aren't just piling up wins right and left based on the schedule up until the All-Star break, then yeah, they'll they'll need to make some moves to to make that work.
0: Yeah, because the other part of that is... uh... All star break, God, maybe up to September. It's I won't say rough because the White Sox are one of the better teams, but it's a lot of This still is tough. crucial time yeah. to fatten up because this is the this is their best. Maybe in September there's a there's a nice let up at some point, but I think this is the longest best stretch for the White Sox. They got to get real fat off it. Of if it's 20 games, they really need to take 15 of those, uh, and, and I hope they do. Again, I'm just throwing numbers out. Mm-hmm. uh like nonsense but yeah let's hope that they can do that i feel pretty good that they're going to be able to do that even as they're sort of reeling a little bit coming out of houston i think the the day off couldn't have come at a better time for them so i do hope they're able to regroup whether tony's leading them to that or not just sort of regroup within themselves and be like all right let's let's go out and eat us go out of pittsburgh yeah. it's a beautiful park let's have fun in it Uh, Tommy it's uh, time to uh, talk about stuff that isn't necessarily 2021 White Sox because you know we can't just live and die by the (laughs) 2021 White Sox it's almost as if I've been doing these podcasts in my dream it's like I almost it's like I'd already done this podcast with you it's just really freaking me out Uh, so let's take it in a couple different directions I want to know what your uh, favorite or maybe most interesting game you've seen in a park that isn't uh, socks park you got a little taste of comiskey as a, as a young 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 lad and then you yep. your white Sox experience has pretty much been new comiskey etc 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 uh outside of the park on the south side uh what's been your most enjoyable or memorable experience
1: um most enjoyable i i'm a huge fan of petco park uh mm. for the san diego um it is an absolutely beautiful ballpark situated in downtown san diego um i just they did everything right there like it's just quirky enough with like the Mm -hmm. uh industrial factories and the outfield making up part of the left field wall but it isn't over the top the way you know the astros originally had it with like a hill in center field um or some of the other retro ballparks that just basically stole blueprints from ballparks of yesteryear and said okay this is our ballpark (laughs) um so it's like the perfect mix of old and new to me um the food is great and it's just it's in a really nice location where it's centrally located but it doesn't feel so touristy that it's just kind of offensive in its own right so I, i that to me is my favorite uh that i've been to what about you
0: yeah, that's a beautiful, beautiful park. Uh, I loved it. I got, we got yelled at. We were doing photo ops and we we're actually playing. We thought out there in like the outfield where you can like, like sort of the lawn seating at a, at a the concert lawn seating, venue. Yeah uh we thought you could just like you could grab ass out there so we were like playing catch, and we had the like like the ballpark cops come and say like oh no you can't you can't like throw a ball here because you're gonna like hit a kid or something I was like geez you guys don't have a lot of confidence in my ability to throw the ball but okay all right all right so uh no that was a, a super super park and yeah in terms of in terms of in terms of favorites um not necessarily favorite experience, but certainly favorite parks. So Pecco was way up there, and I had seen Camden in the year it opened as well, and that was very impressive at the time, of course, and of course it just made me feel more disgusted and want to just spit on the ground when I yeah. realized that our park was a little different than that. But um, the two that jump out at me, uh, one, as much as I do not want to admit, is Target Field in, in Minneapolis, which is just okay. absolutely gorgeous and has that really nice opening up to a downtown Uh, I imagine it's probably not a very majestic experience in April or October or September or May or probably most nights in June and maybe later August, Uh, but that's a beautiful park. And uh, where the White Sox are going to play, I would say probably still my very favorite uh, is uh, PNC. I think it might still be called PNC in Pittsburgh, Uh, has that small feel, that vista of the downtown is the amazing, the Clemente Bridge is just yeah. uh awe inspiring, and it also has a vibe. I want to say it is a little bit smaller, but one of the parks I grew up on because I went to school down in Texas was uh Arlington, uh, the uh, Rangers Park at the time, which had actually been a minor league park. And that you know, who doesn't want that intimate feel of a park, right? Mm-hmm. We all want to be able to go see games, but then we all want the park to be small. But whether or not Pittsburgh does, I don't know if they're hiding more people. I do think it is a more intimate than average park, but. Uh, It really has sort of almost that minor league vibe to him. You can make your jokes, you know, about Pittsburgh there too, but it's just, uh, it's just extraordinary. It's just a draw jaw dropping park. And they do all the stuff like the Sox do with the statues. You've got the Clemente bridge where you're walking, you know, walking over to come see the game. It's just for anybody who admires Roberto Clemente, anyone who has some appreciation for the heritage, of uh, Pittsburgh Pirates and what they've meant to the game in terms of fielding an all-black lineup for the first time, uh, what Roberto Clemente means to the game, Uh, and, you know, what their deceptively strong, I mean, not recently, I guess, but deceptively strong history has been winning Mm -hmm. a number of World Series. Uh, Yeah, it's just a really, I mean, and, and again, I never saw something at Three Rivers, but I imagine that was a hideous experience. So the fact, <laughs> I always love those stories where it goes from an awful park, you know, oh, one yeah. of those cookie cutters to something like, like San Diego. I'm sure Jack Murphy Stadium was an abomination. And the been there. That now it's Petco. It's like, yeah, holy cow.
1: Yeah, Jack Murphy was a mess. I, I went to... It had to have been one of the, the later games there, but I I saw them they were playing the Braves. So I saw Chipper Jones and Tony Gwen. So it was like, okay, this this is cool from that standpoint. Nice. But that ballpark was terrible. Like you couldn't, no matter where you were sitting, you weren't facing the field because it was, you know, set up for football. And every seat was just awkwardly placed and didn't make any sense. Um, I think the only one that I'd I'd been to that was worse from like a cookie cutter standpoint is where the Oakland A's still are now, Mm. Um, just because that also was really, had no purpose as being a baseball stadium. It's just like, hey, we can fit a field here. Let's go with it.
0: Yeah and you're about eight miles away and for most of this uh, the vantage points you're eight miles away from the field because they have so much foul territory it does not give exactly you in- intimacy i remember going to tiger stadium and, and the home plate seemed like it was you could like reach and touch home plate if you were sitting if you're enough to have seats right behind home plate but there's a lot to be said for being so on top of the action that is something that even today's retro parks it's a struggle for them to duplicate because they got to fit in like skyboxes and they got to f- Squeezing seats, they got to have no columns, so yep. it's, it's a challenge. And, and one day somebody's going to solve it. And we're going to be like, okay, this is it, it's done. Everybody just duplicate this part because they found the perfect one. But I don't know if they've even done it yet. As good as some of these we just cited were. Okay, I've already been queued onto a another miscellany question for the future, but can't get into it now. <laughs> so I've ma- I've made a note. I've literally made a note in the notebook. Now we're going to move on to music as we've done a few times already, because why, if you're still listening, you might as well listen to us, talk a little bit about music. And we talked about <laughs> some of our picks for underrated bands uh, of yes. all time. And so we're gonna take what might be an easier question, although really only one band has jumped into my head. So I don't know if I'm gonna have a lot to say, but uh, we're gonna talk now, Tommy, about overrated bands or acts or singers or whatnot. And I know a lot probably fall under that umbrella, but I'm interested to know, maybe one or two that popped in mind as most overrated bands of all time.
1: I'm curious to know who, who your overrated is. If you have only one that is like- Just one to that jumped in the head, but maybe
0: as you're talking, maybe I'll come up with something more because there's a lot I hate. You know, that, I mean, and here's impressive the thing. And, and, and here, here I add this addendum too, and I'm sure you probably have gone, you, you may have gone this direction, but I'm going to say it's a band that i it's a band I'd like and, and, and that, you know, I, a band I hate. You know, I can pick like Bon Jovi because I think they're completely lousy and they're sort of an abomination. I know there's worse, uh, but, you know, just throwing something off like it. But I never liked it. I don't want to listen to their music. I, I would get frustrated when Sox Park would play it so much in the 2005 <laughs> run. So it drove me crazy. I'm like, hey, we're winning. So I'll just, OK, fine, we'll go with it. So, I mean, that was the little twist that I didn't necessarily give you. So these might just be fans you hate that you think are overrated. But the one I picked is one I actually like, but they are definitely overrated. So please get, get, at least shoot one at me.
1: No, my my immediate thought, and it's not a band that I hate, but it's a band that gets a lot of hate. And I think it's only because they're overrated. And that's U2. Oh. And I, I think that they are, I understand why they're important. And I think that their influence is something that should be appreciated. But I think they get too much credit for work that, for example Brian Eno did from a production standpoint and also just in terms of Bono kind of being like this you know perfect frontman when it's like you have a really talented group of guys behind you that should be getting way more attention yeah. <laughs> than, than you and just kind of you know they they had something that I, I think in a lot of ways was kind of earnest and beautiful and they they took it and just completely, com- you know, turned it into this very sterile arena rock that is something that their fans still enjoy because mm. they still sell out everywhere, mm. but it, it just has not aged well at all to me. And I don't even know, it'll be interesting to see like how many bands they influence because I know... Coldplay is like kind of the main touchstone right now. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how that changes over time. But that that was the band that came to mind for
0: me. Yeah, there's such there's sort of a, such a red herring, you know. I mean, there, there's I mean, first of all, what what bands stay together that long? Um, yeah. and what bands stay vital in any way. I mean, you could, I mean, you obviously made an argument that says, you know, the music is is certainly more sterile than it ever was. And maybe this let's say roughly the second half of their career has all been forgettable, but is that even still more, like if we're gonna talk about it in a war perspective, is that still a plus war? It may be, um, you know, the fact they put so much effort into like delivering this sort of like innovative, maybe live experience, of course, Mm -hmm. tons of missteps, larger than life, you know, front man, uh, it's tough, to sort of, to be. It's tough to be the Yankees or whatever, you know, right. even though they want to say them, but they're probably not the Yankees. Uh, that's an interesting choice, and it's certainly not, uh, definitely not out of hand, uh, uh, because it's interesting to see how they are perceived, especially in this century. I guess you could say, because I would mm-hmm. argue that probably it's been this century where they probably haven't really put together anything that was even arguably a uh, uh, vital. So, and that's a chunk of time. It's twenty years. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'll give you a and It is a band I like, but boy, I tell you for sales, I guess it's sort of a similar type of pick, but I do. And, and, and my, my friend, I don't know how close a friend we still are, but my friend, Scott Merkin will hate me for it, but it is absolutely the Eagles. he uh, knew you were going to pick that. <laughs> 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 and, you know, I like them. I love the quirkiness of Joe Walsh, of course, a very late member. Uh, I certainly do not think that their their songs are without merit and there's certainly a lot i enjoy but boy for and again i don't even know how resonant in today's world they would be considered even even overrated the discussion we're having about the velvet underground being underrated and my perspective being that maybe they are they really underrated and yours being well i don't know i think maybe they have slipped through the cracks a little bit uh so i don't even know if they would come up i mean uh but that's always gotten under my skin as boy for a band that sold the way they did for a band that generally was there's very little middle of the road yeah Yeah. for to have been over the top like greatness is like
1: yeah i mean that they're always one of the bands that come up for that reason and it, it definitely makes sense because you look at the um There was like some visualization graph that came out that was just showing like the top record sales by artists over the span of like the last hundred years. And then you just see the Eagles just like pop up and like just never go away. And it's, you you think about it, it's like they, they had some nice songs, but it was never like... I never viewed them in that way, and like when you think about it from that perspective, it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. But
0: I mean, specifically, Tommy, we've got the the the, the record that never goes away is the Greatest Hits Volume One. Volume One, yeah. Which isn't even that. I mean, it, it's not even. <laughs> it doesn't have many good songs. I mean, I understand that. I guess apparently that's just the touchstone. So everybody had mm-hmm. to get it. They had to get it on an uh, eight track, quadraphonic, eight track, uh, cassette tape, <laughs> record, quadraphonic record, CD, uh, dat tape, et cetera. But uh, it's not, you know, arguably, you know, I mean, it, it's sort of jaw dropping that that, and I'm sure that's not the only record on say the, the all time, you know, 50 greatest sellers or whatever that you'd say. Are you kidding me? How can that be on there? But that's been
1: up there that's been up there for almost a long since time released.
0: so yeah uh just the notion that a greatest hits album becomes that in from a band that isn't just a singles band like we're not talking about chuck berry compilation or something but right uh something where it, you know it's not even actually a true record of theirs you think oh my god that sort of speaks that really screams eagles to me honestly it's just like okay we're so gonna cheat our way onto the list exactly <laughs> Uh, do you have other suggestions as I maybe try to comb my brain for someone else I would come up with, given I'm so predictable that you knew I'd say that?
1: No, I just, I thought it was funny because I, I had a feeling you were going to say Eagles because that's one that I do hear quite a bit. Um, the only other one that, that came to mind that I don't, I think they're only overrated in that they're one of the bands that just feels like it's the de facto answer whenever somebody talks about their favorite band um actually i have two that fit this bill um and the two are pearl jam and the other one is metallica (laughs) and both bands whenever i talk to somebody that says they're a huge fan of theirs they name like the same two or three songs that they love by them and then can't think of anything else by them and i'm just like is it just that There, to your point about, you know, war, like, is it just that those singles are so great that everything else doesn't matter? In which case, that's fine. But I, those are two bands that just always seem to come up as cultural touchstones throughout the ages that, you know, were bigger than life and and made such a huge impact. And, you know, with the, with the, uh, you know, helpfulness of history you can kind of look back and say okay Pearl Jam there are a bunch of other bands that came out around the exact same time that were just as important as as Pearl Jam and may not have had the longevity obviously but do we credit a band just because of longevity and then with Metallica you can say the same thing that there were a lot of bands that from a talent perspective I would say were probably far superior but Metallica made metal Accessible, and that on its own can be enough of a merit to be like, okay, this is why I love them. Mm. But in both cases, I would kind of say,
0: yeah, they're probably overrated. Gave gave uh, gave innumerable closers their walk-in music, uh, which seems to be their long-term uh touchstone yeah i something tells me you find the earnest larger than life front man perhaps overrated tommy because you picked <laughs> eddie Vedder and bono as two of the overrated guys i tell you when i was at a uh crossroads in my life exploring music uh and decided to go a little bit harder and this tells you how innocent i was even though most of my friends were really into hard stuff in high school uh i bought around the same time living color and i bought Metallica and probably their you know, Living Colors First and uh Metallica, whatever their big probably their second album is whatever their big breakthrough was. Mm-hmm. And one stuck with me for the rest of my life, and I love it to this day, and that's Living Color and Metallica. It just did not it did not resonate with me. It seemed like it was just sort of loud and angry for loud and angry sake, and I just I yeah. couldn't go that far with it. The the you know, the, the soul and the vibe and the melody of something like a living color, which is arguably as hard, um, uh, not, of course, not quite, but, uh, you know, that, that stuck with me, because it seemed like there was something there, and in fact, people would tease me, like, "Man, I didn't think you liked heavy metal, man, why do you like, do you like living color? It's like, well, okay, it's maybe not just that, you know, maybe right. it's a little bit more than that. Uh, all right, I'll, I'll give you one more and it, it, it kills all of my high school credibility uh, and it speaks to my age. Although I'm sure maybe even there's kids in high school today who use this as a touchstone and I certainly do not put them in the same category as the Eagles because I think Eagles are very thin, very thin, uh, enjoyable, enjoyable, but but there, there's a lack of a depth there. I'm sorry, yeah. you just can't really get around it. Uh, but I would have to probably reluctantly, given that I sort of feel almost embarrassed to listen to some of it now <laughs> even though i still think there's a lot that was innovative and maybe still is and that is probably the easy pick of the doors uh Ooh. You know, big big uh big 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 fan growing up oh and see there's... i would argue that yeah All
1: it, right. well it's be it's become so cool and popular to hate on the doors that i just <laughs> feel like it, it they, there's no in between for them
0: uh-huh And
1: it's like, it's either, oh my God, they're so cool. They're so amazing. And then it's like, okay, they're tacky and over the top. And I've always looked at it as they're both. Mm-hmm. And it's intentional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I, you know.
0: <laughs> I think part of the reason why I, I think I wasn't as clever and as nuanced a fan as you, or a listener as you, because I probably bought in more and was more that 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 former fan of just like, oh my god, there's nothing like this. There's never. They're probably the best American band who's ever been. You know, of course, granted, mm-hmm. give me some credit. We're talking about thirty years ago. Maybe, maybe you could even try to begin to make that argument uh but i think today i see some of the thinness and some of the car- cartoonishness that i'm not sure i'm going to give them credit for just being uh you know intentional and a wink wink and the fact that you know the lead singer Jim drove, Morrison was you know <laughs> and you know and, and really could no longer even say i mean that's burning out, that's for sure, because by, yeah. by a final record, you can't even sing. Um, you know, I guess still sort of made it work. But uh, yeah, I think this speaks a little bit more to me, not as an, impar- as an impartial observer, I probably wouldn't make that argument, but as a person who sort of bought into it, had the t shirt, uh, probably had it on the list of bands I would have, oh, it's the most, it's a band I would have most wanted to see, which mm-hmm. might still resonate, you know, might, might, could still be on that list, but as the unequivocal pick. Yeah, I feel a little silly about that. And there's and the truth is, it's 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 hard for me to listen with the same enthusiasm as I did. So maybe that's just one that yeah got a little got a little stale. Or maybe you know, Tommy, maybe I'm just chasing the popular pick and I'm just saying, hey, you know what? It's popular to diss on the door, so I'm going to throw them out there. Forget it. No,
1: it's it makes sense. I mean, they that cartoonish. I think is a good way to describe it because it's this. I there's certain musicians where it's just like, okay, you you can't be that, you know, angry all the time. You can't be that unhappy all the time. Like, some, there gets to be a point where it's like, this is no longer authentic. This is you either chasing a voice that yeah. you feel like you should have, or you're embracing some sort of character that is quickly becoming a caricature. And I feel like Jim Morrison went that route, where it was just kind of this caricature of who he felt like he should be and who the doors should be and to me what I thought was interesting about them was their fusion of different sounds was a much different approach than Mm -hmm. other bands took Mm -hmm. but it did quickly turn into a hey let's do a 20 minute song called LA Woman and just like scream for five minutes and and you play a song and you play a song and we'll put it together on tape and call it a single like I there was stuff like that where it's like all right everybody got a little too close to the to the sun that day but (laughs) as a whole I I think that they tried to create something that was unique and different and deserve credit for that. But I I could also see the overrated argument too.
0: Yeah, I mean credit to saying, okay, we're going to make a side of a record just one long poem just one long of mine. (laughs) uh, and you should just want to record it and you should want to buy it. Yeah, Uh, And it's interesting that their longtime producer for that last record said, you know, this is lounge music, I don't want to produce this. And that's that's Mm -hmm. interesting. And, you know, I like it, it's fine. But uh, it's interesting that there's that kind of pushback. And another thing that's hard for me is, and I don't know how often this comes up, and I don't know how true it even was in the case of somebody like Jim Morrison, but when it seems like you hate your job so much, that's sort of a bummer that I mean, again, that doesn't really speak to overrated, but it's it's sort of a bummer and it's like boy this guy is really he really doesn't want to be, He's to the point where he is going to well he's going to kill himself or he's going to get fat and he's going to rip his voice uh he's going to go to jail uh right he's not doing what he wants to do or, or she's not doing what she wants to do it's like boy this you know i mean I think you, you got some you got some coin you, you can't mm-hmm. walk away nobody's that's my wife's very fond of saying you know you don't have to keep doing this you can right. stop at any time
1: and, and just walk away Whether you made your major millions
0: it, or not you can't really yeah. stop you can just become a cop you can just become a grocery clerk I mean, you can yeah. you know you can work the taco stand jim morrison you could have just sold tacos man and,
1: and you know not make everyone else with you also you know feel miserable like i mean it's just like you know that that's that's very true
0: and we talked about the doors and didn't even mention the fact that Oliver Stone had to do a movie called the Doors. So, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, hey, that's there. true. It's <laughs> 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 not an argument against me, Tommy. Uh, all right. Well, I've already jotted down other ideas for the future. So I, these, these just keep breeding others, but this has been a fun discussion of overrated, uh, probably more entertaining and engaging even than the underrated, but, uh, uh, I'm sure we cut it off a little short in both categories. So maybe we'll revisit it when you say, oh man, I got to I got to uh, yeah. have an addendum next podcast. I got to have an addendum because I found out who my underrated and overrated bands are. But yeah, okay. Well, uh, go listen to your uh, Eagles Greatest Hits Volume 1 and find yourself <laughs> a hit um, beyond maybe, I don't know, Desperado or Already oh, Gone. Man. or Yeah. Yeah, not so good. I don't understand why that sold um, whatever it is now, 50 million or whatever it's been, but keeping don henley happy hope he can be just a little bit nicer to everybody else around him
1: and uh, no he can't
0: doesn't seem like a pleasant fella but you know you get older tommy i'm trying to fight so man, it so it goes get older, man you, gotta, you just gotta <laughs> embrace more you can't you can't squeeze in it's been tough these last four or five years been tough not to get really yeah. better but we're doing it we are we're sticking we're sticking we're staying open and hey we're gonna stay open for Believe in White Sox podcast number six. We are probably going to try to do it later this week because we've got another day off coming up, this weird Pittsburgh thing where it's just like two games and the White Sox go home with two wins in their pocket. So uh, who's to say? Maybe we'll be uh, chatting again later in the week. Uh, we'll talk about how beautiful the PNC, PNC ballpark is. And uh, I don't know. I have some other bonus questions for you sounds good looking forward to it all right it's a growing movement it's a growing listenership please join the tens of thousands out there listening to the believe in white join Sox the podcast wagon. with uh, my partner there tommy barbie i'm brett Valentini. you can read us on south side socks read our daily coverage and our features and maybe even listen to a podcast over there if you want to uh we'll be talking at you probably just a matter of a few days but we'll be back with you sooner than later thank you for joining me again tommy
1: thank you